Hey, everyone. Welcome to Real Talk in Real Time. This is uh, Jay Herman, your host. This is uh, my opportunity to speak with some creatives and get the behind the scenes access to what makes them tick. And maybe I'll throw in some rants and raves. (laughs) (laughs) Today, I have a guest who I have followed this man's career. You know, there's a little bit of time that we've been connected and I'm just so blown away by his writing. I'm so inspired by his writing and his other projects as well. And I'm going to do my very best not to chew up your name since we just <laughs> discussed it, right? Yeah. My guest today is Kamda Chasta. Is that right? See, got it. Ah, okay, good. He is an amazing writer, creative, producer, podcaster, videographer. Like, I have your bio. I'll, I'll make sure that I put it in the show. Uh-oh. notes. But yeah, you do so much. So, you know, without me, like, you know, continue to go on. Tell me, who are you? Where are you from? Where are you right now? Okay, that is a very powerful question. First of all, thank you for having me on the podcast. I am really honored to be able to share my story, to talk and share real talk. I think what you're doing, you know, sharing the stories of your, your own story and the women in your life and other people it's really amazing and heartfelt and in a world where everybody's looking for clicks and stuff, it's mm-hmm. it's refreshing to hear powerful, vulnerable, honest voices. And I really appreciate that. Well, thank and, you. Uh, welcome. So, yeah, who am I? That is the question. Uh, I am a lot of things. And for a long time, I've actually struggled to find a label. In fact, right now, I'm still going through a phase where I'm trying to figure out. So just to answer the question my struggle with getting a bio for my newsletter under my medium writing has been a proof of the fact that i'm still as confused as i was when i started writing because now (laughs) i'm honing in on saying i what i do is that i tell stories which was a little bit vague but now what my main focus is is connecting ideas that don't seem related to be able to show and share and learn how to live intentionally so that's what my mission is about now, like really finding things that you may be watching a movie and you have no idea what a character could actually teach you about yourself and how you can use that on a regular Thursday to just be a better human being. So I'm really looking at how to make use of all the things that I consume to share that this is possible. It's possible to live intentionally. It's possible to make changes in your life if you want to make those changes and that life could suck. But if you look up, if you turn around and search a little bit, you could find things. So. Where I come from, I was born and raised in Cameroon, uh, West Africa, and I moved to the U.S. almost two years now. So June 2020 would be two years since I landed at the port of entry in New York, and I moved here to be with my wife. We met in high school. We got engaged when she was visiting Cameroon, and she couldn't move to Cameroon because, well, student loans wouldn't let her go away, and I had to move. (laughs) So I I did move, and I'm here, and the past two years, I'd say, has been a struggle, and I've discovered my immigrant writing voice. I've discovered my introspective voice, which has already been there, but now being in the U.S., having to go through things that I never thought was possible, I've had now to start asking myself questions and going through the motions of who am I in this space? How different is the culture? What is my own role as an immigrant, as a husband, now as a job owner, as a a student? I study psychology now at the community college in Pueblo. So there are all these moving parts of my life that I never thought I could ever have to deal with just two years ago. Wow. so yeah, it's, it's, you you arrived in New York, but you're you actually live where? In Pueblo. Pueblo is uh, yeah. So New York was a port of entry, and then my actual location was uh, Aurora, Colorado. So that's close to Denver. So just yeah, about 15, 20 minutes. It's still like really close to Denver. And we moved from Denver here in Pueblo last year in July because my wife got a job here, and we had to move. So. Yeah, it's been Denver, then or what, then Pueblo, and then in a couple of years we'll be moving to Lamar when she's done with residency, since wow. she's a medical doctor here in Pueblo. So yeah. that that leads me to a host of other questions I hadn't even considered before. So we're talking. You went from West Africa to New York to Colorado. I mean, culturally you know, cultural differences aside, let's just talk temperature. Like how have you been managing with the difference? 
So the first time I had snow, I got really excited about it. I was like, man, this is amazing. I've just seen this in movies. This is how it is. <laughs> and that same night I fell sick because it was too cold. Yeah, yeah. But now, temperature-wise, I think, I don't know if it's a blessing or a curse, but I adapt quickly to most physical or say constraints, things like maybe hunger or weather or things like that. So after the first few days of snow, I actually realized I prefer the snow to the heat of summer. Wow. Because with the snow, you can get warm, you can wear a coat, you can, you know, you can drink hot tea. With the <laughs> heat, you have to take a shower, <laughs> you have to be in the AC. So I really prefer the, the cold to the heat. It's very different. And when I talk to my dad about, you know, winter and summer and all those things, I he always says something that I, I agree with, which is the reason why a lot of things did not move forward on the continent in Africa is because we had chill weather. Things were okay. We didn't have any pressures to, oh, yeah, if you don't save food, you are literally going to die. I think <laughs> that's the difference between being in uh, the U.S. and having to be in Africa. Like The weather's... First of all, I did not know what fall, winter, summer. I, I had no idea. Now I actually do have an idea. So it's it's not been that different for me as an individual. However, I'm aware of how different it is for many people, and I can appreciate that. Well, I mean, and you know, we have briefly in our exchanges talked talked about you know personality traits being introverted, extroverted, what have you. So the reason that was actually one of the reasons why I asked is that I know for me personally. When I went from Florida to Washington State, I I was like, oh, my God, snow, it's beautiful. We get to hike in <laughs> the mountains, and it was gorgeous. But for me, the lack of sunshine and being under the gray skies, oh. that affected my, you know, my ability to create. I had a sun lamp that helped, but... So that's what, what another reason why I asked is I wondered if that had an effect on you, on your personality, and if that affected your ability to create the change, the difference in temperature. I, I think it did. I think there are many things that have affected my creativity for the past couple of years that I never considered. Like when I was in Cameroon, I was by myself. I lived alone. I could organize my space the way I wanted. If I didn't like my chairs one way, I'll just move them around. If I didn't like my books one way, I'll move them around. In the university where I stayed for almost seven years, because I doubled from one degree to the other mm. and finally settled for journalism, I literally was in control of my space. So for me, the biggest change when I moved wasn't so much the weather, even though it was since we lived in the basement, I didn't see the sun for many days and stretch. And it, I never realized how necessary it was to see like light and sunlight until I moved to the U.S. where I'm mostly indoors. Mm. Like even now... I, yeah, I leave early to go to class. I drive from class to go to work. By the time I'm done with work, it's dark. So that cycle of not being in the sun, yeah, it does dampen the way I look at the world, my own optimism, my energy levels. I feel like if I if I don't make time to actually go out and maybe walk the dog, I just go outside. Like ever since I moved to Pueblo, one of my biggest struggles have been to find people I could hike with or could take pictures with. And I'm lucky that a couple of days ago, I found one of my classmates, actually, it's a video person, photographer. And yeah, we're planning to go during the weekends and just take pictures and just relax. And I think one big part of my, that I've discovered my creative journey as a whole is my lack of physical community is a big problem for me. Mm. In Cameroon, it could be easy to find like a, a writer or even if you didn't, you could take a car, go to maybe Douala, which is close, was close to Boya, the university, and have like meetups and people and other creatives. But when I, since I moved here, Denver, I started creating a community in Denver, which was great. I found people like Danny Merzer, whose podcast I produced, and I was also on the podcast, uh, Soul Stories podcast. And when we're moving to Pueblo, that was a big part of the life that I started creating that I was worried about losing. And I did lose it because now we talk on the phone, we don't even meet. I, I can't drive to Denver because I'm not yet used to driving long distances. So oh. I'm still really creating a new community of physical creatives to hang out and meet here in Pueblo, which is for me, I think I never realized how important for me it was to actually meet people, especially creatives and talk face to face and hang out. Well, I yeah. can say that, uh, as I mentioned, getting a sun lamp and I can send you the link for the one that I use. <laughs> It really yeah. does make a difference because the lack of vitamin D and, you know, the effects that it has on our immune system, especially being a creative, is extremely important. So 
in lieu of actually getting out on you know, occasions where you can, I highly recommend that. But it's awesome that you're able to connect with people because I'm finding that that's been the missing link in my life and in my creative process and for my mental stability is actually connecting with people in real life. I mean, outside of now doing these podcast interviews where I'm talking to just amazing people and I get so encouraged by you know having these conversations, but really getting out there and you know, I had uh, went and had coffee with a friend of mine yesterday. And I mean, I feel like I didn't even have caffeine yet. And I was bouncing off the walls <laughs> because I was so excited. I was like, oh my God, I'm outside. I'm talking to a real person. Right? <laughs> so I get that. That's wonderful that you're able to connect with someone like that. Yeah, it's it's very necessary, I think. So your, your writing, I mean, I've, I started following you. I think, it, you know, basically I, I found you on Medium, but would you say that you started writing before you started doing your YouTube channel or was it simultaneous? How did that, how did you start as a writer and a videographer? So first of all, I, I think you're selling me too high and I feel <laughs> terrible. And that I'm like, man, <laughs> like I, the way I find difficult, like, I don't know, I, I don't even think this is important, sorry, imposter syndrome. It's more like I know where I could be and I'm not yet there. And I compare myself with that future possibility of myself, which is not healthy. And um, mm. yeah, so for, for my writing, I started actually writing to the world in 2012 when I started my blog, which is very similar to the time when I started figuring out what I wanted to do with my life, which was to tell stories. Because before that, before 2012, when I graduated high school in 2007, I had no idea what I wanted to do, even though I knew I wanted to be a writer. But I took a science path, which made it very difficult in Cameroon to switch to the arts. Mm. And so I did biochemistry for a year, felt stuck and just quit. Basically, did not go to school for a while and just ended up dropping out. And then restarted a year after that with medical laboratory science because I passed the entrance exam. And from 2008 to 2012, I was in a very, very dark place, struggling, wondering what I was doing in my life, thinking I'm wasting it. I mean, I was really young. I'm still young right now. And it, But when I look back at the time, it was just a very dark period because I didn't feel like what I was doing in school was motivating me in any way. I didn't have time to write. I didn't even know I wanted to write. But in 2011, I discovered James Altucher, who has really mm -hmm. who influenced the way I, I started blogging. His self-deprecating, sarcastic humor, his ability to go through his own stories and pick out nuggets. So I really used that and started writing about my heartbreaks and love stories and just plain opinions about the world. And that is really what sparked, I say, my my journey as an online writer, which is community now left from just the internet of people reading me to people meeting me on the streets. I'm like, hey, I read this thing. I really liked it. I felt it. I really, I felt like you were telling my story. That's like the one comment that I've always had that I'm always looking forward to, which is, yeah, you said something that I, I wanted to say, but I didn't have the words to say. And I got hooked. I think I got hooked in 2012 and I've been writing ever since. Some days I'll go off for months and feel bad about it. Some days I'll write every day for a month. But from 2012 till now, I've been writing. I had a blog called Kamga has a blog on WordPress, which I know you love. Mm -hmm. But <laughs> in 2016, I think 2015, I moved to Medium. And then sometime around 2017, I just dumped my blog and just moved onwards to Medium. And between that and now, I tried to go to my own website, could not keep it up, and tried to start a couple of newsletters, could not keep it up. Like, I think my journey as a creative has always been... In, on the one hand, it's more like I never finish any projects I start. On the other hand, it's like you have the courage to come back whenever you fail, which mm -hmm. is really great. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah. I mean, and that's yeah. another thing, too, that we've, we've had in common. I think that is really how we connected because we were talking about, you know, well, what do I want to be when I grow up? And what does this look like? And what does it sound like? And I have this story and I'm putting it out there. And to me, you're a superstar because of that. Yeah. You know, that you aren't afraid to put your stuff out there or pivot and take a different approach. You know, it's not that you're saying I failed in, in this direction. I've just decided to go this other way. And that to me, that is badassery. You know, and I talk about that a lot. It's like, that's badass because there are so many people that one, they're afraid to be themselves. They're afraid to look in the mirror and say, okay, I know who that person is. I'm cool with you. And they're afraid to put it out there and you're not. And I just so, so appreciate and respect that about you. So to me, you know, I appreciate your hum your humility, but you're a superstar to me. So thank you. 
Thank you. Thank you so much. It's um, it's one of those things that even now I, whenever like my YouTube channel, for example, I created in 2011, but I've been struggling to keep it up. And by the way, today's my birthday. So yesterday, happy birthday. My wife was asked, Thank you. Yeah, I was asking, like, how do you feel about turning 30? I mean, it's still young compared to most people. It's, it's relatively young and relatively old all at the same time. Some people are like 10 years old, so like, oh, 30 is like you know, 100. <laughs> so okay. I'm, I'm looking at really removing, because my whole journey has really been around struggling to find that voice and find my story and tell my story in a way that it works for me. Because I've discovered that whenever I try to tell my story the way that works for other people, it always ends up falling flat. Mm-hmm. When people say put the audience forward, you know, think about the audience, write with the audience in mind. But for some reason, that actually doesn't work very well for me because I tend to start pondering if I think of the audience too much. And I tend to start wanting to say things that I'm hoping the audience will like instead of just saying what I want to say. And then the audience, if they like it, great. If they don't like it, great. I, I told my story. And now I'm thinking a lot about YouTube and how spreading my energy is affecting the way I actually perform on every single part of it. And I think it has a lot to do with the fact that my schedule now has just become so strange. I literally have maximum, I'll say one complete day off where I would say, okay, yeah, this is a day I'm either going to school or going to work. So every other day I'm either going to school and work or going to work or going to school. And this is bringing me now to think about what I really want to do, how much time I have, how can I organize that time to actually create the things I want to create. Mm. And circling back to YouTube, I discovered that I, although I like video and I have what video presence and I like speaking on camera and I'm actually comfortable with it, the way I operate is that I like to tell stories in a specific way. And if I don't do them, it actually backfires. So instead of feeling encouraged that I'm pushing out a video, I'm making content this week, when I make a video and I look at it and I don't like it, makes the next video actually harder for me to make, which now affects the way I feel about my writing and the way I write or the way I think about my own podcast. So one of the things I've actually been thinking about very strongly, which I'm sure you'd be surprised for me to say here on the podcast, is that I'm actually thinking of putting my own podcast on a huge hold that may actually end up being like a definite closure (laughs) because I realized that I can't be everywhere at the same time, especially not now. I need to pick a few things and focus and dig deeper so I can also build a name for myself. Mm. When I look at people like uh, Ryan Holiday, who I admire a lot, I've read almost all his books and being a parent himself and a writer, and I love philosophy. And I think about his own story and look at how does this man get to the point where his name is synonymous with certain things and he's able to do all these things. He wasn't. He didn't have a YouTube channel. He didn't have a podcast. He really became very good at marketing and sales and writing. And with that, he now is able to do whatever he wants to do. And even people like Ayodeji Awosika, who I'm sure you know is really blowing up on Medium and moving to YouTube, many of these people that I admire, who are creatives that I look up to and try to learn from, did not do everything at the same time. Right. And it's been hard for me to accept that lesson that I cannot be everywhere at the same time. It's one of those pills that I'm still struggling to swallow. Even as I say this right now, I'm like, maybe I wish I could. Maybe I can. Maybe I really can. But no, come guy, I can't. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm thinking of really putting the podcast on hold. And the place where I should be putting 80% of my work now is really my writing. That's where I started. That's what I really love to do. And that's how I think. So well, you'll I'll be get, doing a lot more writing. Yeah. You'll, you'll get no complaints from me because I am truly <laughs> one of your huge, biggest fans because I truly do. I really appreciate and that. I, 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 think, I love, yeah. love your writing. I love your writing. because And it's interesting what you said because this is truly where you and I are on the same level. Do you write your story or do you write what people want to read? I struggle with that. And I think one of your, your more recent posts, you talked about you know, reflecting back on how it felt to write for the sheer joy of writing or writing because you had a story to tell as opposed to, you know, trying to appeal to the masses and what would have happened if we had stayed on that course? Like what, what would have happened if I had stopped trying to be a writer and just told my story the way I had (laughs) intended to from the start, where would I be now? You know? Yeah, that's the one. I, I've been doing this thing now. I missed yesterday because I had an, a math exam, which I failed, and it's bumming oh. me out. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, I tried. You see, that, that's one thing about the corollaries of life that I'm picking up from everywhere. Like, my whole thing about living intentionally, looking at daily life, I did not prepare for my math, my math exam. I assumed I would have enough time to finish my prerequisite 
mastery points to open up the exam and do it. And I finished just in time to have 15 minutes to do the exam and I failed the four questions I took. I just had one. And I looked at it in terms of life, which is, yeah, everybody wants to write a book. They want to write a, you know, a short story, a novel, maybe a play. Oh, by the way, congratulations on your performance. I saw the pictures and I saw your post on Instagram. I didn't comment, but I see everything you do, Jay. I'm a fan. <laughs> you have no idea. <laughs> and um, yeah. so people... We, especially, I, I look at my own story, I tend to think that I have more time than I do have, which is weird because everybody eventually is going to end up dead, but we never really think about how, when that is going to happen, how soon it's going to happen, and how it could actually just happen. Like right now, my lungs could literally, I don't know, collapse for no reason and I could die. But we, we when we create and when we go on this journey of, I want to be this person when I grow up, we forget to think about the long-term journey and also the short-term journey. So when I think of my math exam, because I did not prepare for it, I felt and the consequences were very clear in my face. If I had taken time every day, 30 minutes to do my assignments, I would not be here. And I'm looking at my own creative journey. If I actually take every day, I wake up early, I have an hour to create in one year, three years, five years, I would have the book, I would have the story, I would have the blog following, I would have the voice. Because for me, that's my big goal right now is let me figure out my writing voice. The rest can come out later. And I think a lot of people forget that you you have 24 hours. There's a quote that Oprah has 24 hours. Bill Gates has 24 Yeah, they're great people. They have 24 hours. But look back at your day, my day. I feel like we have these 24 hours, but even when we sleep for eight hours, which is very healthy for us to sleep, we don't use 30 minutes, just 30 minutes to sit and do the things that we want to do. We choose to actually have, oh, no, do have four hours on the weekend or have one day in the month mm-hmm. instead of just 30 minutes a day. And that's what I'm trying to turn my journey now on instead of having to spread out or put one day this is creation day which could work in certain circumstances if you can afford it but when you can't afford it when you have a day job and you have kids and family and people who need your attention sometimes 30 minutes is really all you need to sit and get your thing done for the every day for 30 months and that's where i'm heading at now i really appreciate that i mean on one hand i do I recognize that I am a multi-passionate person, right? And so at any given time, I may be doing several projects, but you're absolutely right. Having a a full commitment and focus in one area obviously will make that one area more, um, will strengthen, right? But that's not to say that we have to entirely give up those other pursuits. Maybe we put them aside or maybe they just take a smaller portion of our, our brain space. But I mean, I appreciate that you have all of these talents and I think it, you would do the world a disjustice if you said, I'm never going to do another <laughs> podcast. I'm never going to do another video, but I certainly appreciate what you're saying that, you know, being able to focus on your writing voice and, you know, making that your focus right now does make sense because I, I think even though I started this podcast, it's helping me to become more invested in my writing because it's, it's clarifying for me the voice that I was I tried to start with, if that makes sense. Yes, I agree. I, because it's I mean, this is probably a very weird analogy. When I when I want to make my YouTube videos, what ends up happening is maybe I draft a video and say, Oh, this one I'm going to talk about, this one point I'm going to talk about. By the time I'm done drafting a YouTube video, I end up with an article. Mm-hmm. Like it's when my brain thinks of, oh, you should make a video and I start writing the points. I literally end up with an article that I could actually post as a by itself without even the video, which is something that I've tried to think about myself. Like, how do I think? It looks like if I'm thinking of a podcast, my mindset goes to a different place. Like when I'm recording my podcast, my tone of voice is different, my thought process is different, my mindset is different. The way I sit and posture myself just changes. When I'm writing, that's different as well. Like I, I find it difficult to write on a big screen. It's it's a funny thing about being a creative that I think. Uh, yeah, like even now, a lot of my posts that I realized in the past, I'm trying to really tap into that right now. I'll just back up a little bit. I think as creatives, we need to really figure out what inspires us individually. People think like, you know, you go to a coffee shop where there's noise. There's all these things on the internet about spaces you should work with. But when you pay attention to yourself, you might realize that you have some very strange habits that actually allow you to be very productive. For me, my writing, when I have an idea and I go to Facebook of all places and I start writing this maybe three short paragraphs or something, and I like it, that usually ends up blowing up into an article. Like wow. I had a recent article that got curated on uh, on writing, which was um, 
The thing about when what happens when you take a writing break, the, the process for that article literally started on Facebook. I wrote this short piece that I was like, oh, I feel really strongly about this. Fine. I don't care if anybody reads it. People liked it. People commented on it and people shared it. I said, okay, this could be interesting. Took that out to Medium, wrote a completely different introduction, put parts of it inside there. And by the time it was done, I felt really good with the article. Wow. And I like that yeah, process. <laughs> Yeah, that's that I discovered that as a way I think I could kind of have an idea, write a sentence, and then before I realize it, it blows up into something that could actually be longer. And I really like look forward to those moments of, oh, do I think better when I wake up early? Do I think better when it's late at night? Do I think better when I write on Evernote, on Facebook? Because when you have a, a schedule that doesn't allow you to write, you really want to make use of every positive or something that works for you as an individual. Some people do well in the coffee shop. I, I don't, mostly because I haven't tried it. But at home, I could take my computer, move to the kitchen, and that changes the way I think about <laughs> anything else. I, yeah. I I am someone that I truly thrive best in solitude. So, yeah. you know, I'm able to tune out background, you know, am, ambient noise for the most part. But truly for me to feel creative when I'm writing is to be alone. However, I did, you know try and do the, I was at the airport and I thought, you know, other people say that they can do this. So let me try it. And I, I was pleasantly surprised because I, I just wrote, I didn't like really dig deep, you know, because mm -hmm. I was affected by the lights and, you know, I'm like looking at people, I'm a people watcher, you know? And so, yes, I was able to do it, but like you said, it wasn't truly what got my creative juices flowing. So I know for me, for me to write, I need to be, it needs to be quiet. I don't listen to music. I don't have any in the background. <laughs> yeah. There aren't any people around. Like that is my creative Zen. <laughs> yeah. For me, I, I, I discovered that it depends on what I'm writing. I think I, I, you and I talked about this on a tweet where I said, well, when I'm writing certain things, I like right. music without lyrics. So I, I have a thousand playlists on, on Spotify. I think playlists are my bane. I don't know how to make them. So I make like a hundred and I discovered that they have like five that are basically the same songs in all of those five different playlists. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I have this new writing playlist called Writing 2.0, which will probably evolve to like Writing 6.0 eventually. <laughs> <laughs> but in, in the playlist, I have music that when I listen to sets me in a particular mode. So I there are two. There's one which is just writing and Writing 2.0. So writing is just ambient music like chill pop uh beats i love to listen to them because when i make my and edit my videos i like to go through music i really like music that's like a part of my creative process i never dug into i never really enjoyed and i'm looking forward to learning to how to play the piano because i like to be able to accompany my poetry with music and being able to put music that sets me in a particular mood tends to really boost the way i think about a subject especially when i'm writing say a piece that i want to that is motivational or inspiring because of all things I discovered that actually as an individual, I really like writing posts to motivate and inspire people. I hated to admit it to myself, like the whole self-improvement, personal growth thing. I was like, ah, everybody's doing this. Why am I doing it? But I've come to terms with the fact that actually my own story has been hard and I wish I had somebody to tell me the things that I'm not telling myself and the rest of the world. And it's okay. It's okay if I'm part of that the whole community of telling people that it can be better. It's okay, especially if I tell them based on my story. It's not just about, oh, Jim Ron said this or Zig Ziglar said that. It's like, this is my story. This is what I did. This is what I'm doing. Hey, you could do it too. See, that, so, and that is, again, where we align. That is how I feel I'm able to truly be comfortable in my voice as a writer because I'm not saying this is what you should do. I'm not saying this is what I did. I learned from it and you can learn it too. No, I'm saying this is my story. If you glean nuggets from what I went through, from my experience, great. And if you don't, maybe you found it enjoying, you know, maybe you found some entertainment yeah. in there, but I can't be a should and a should maker, right? Because I'm turning off those voices in my head because I don't want them to have an effect on how... I'm able to connect with people. And so the, the best way that I know to do that is to just be real, to strip it all away and say, this is me. You know, sometimes it comes out a little, you know, glossy and sometimes it doesn't. But either yeah. way, this is, it's still, it's still, it's still me. You know, when I chose, you know, to call myself a storyteller, it was primarily because no matter what, 
if I'm doing a video, if I'm on stage, if I'm doing a podcast, if I'm writing, I am still telling a story and trying to be as real in that story as possible. Yeah, I 100%. Just yesterday, I had a performance at the, because the El Pueblo Museum organized a Black History Month performance. It was music and poets and food. And I did not prepare for this. If, if Javier is listening to this, he'd be like, what? Bro, I told you it's like a week ago. But I couldn't, I did not. I had school. I, I decided to read a poem that I had and tell a story. And by the end of my performance, I was feeling terrible. Again, like the whole math exam thing. Like, I know that I could have prepared for this and done better. And I know. But I told this story. And even while I was telling the story about fatherhood and fathers, I felt very strange because I realized by the end of the story that I did not balance it the way I would have wanted to. Mm-hmm. I focused so much on the parents, on the father and the dad figure that I think I alienated the mothers and any other parent or spouse who was not the father. And by the end of it all, I was like, oh man, if only I had actually written this down, if only I had actually made a script and actually had my story <laughs> prepared, I would not have ended up here. And it just goes to emphasize the importance of preparation for nearly everything in life and especially creative works. It's... um. A couple of things, like a week ago, I spoke with Ayo, Ayo Deji and I was struggling. I really was going through this period. It's it's like even a stretch for almost four months of me thinking like I'm doing too much, which is still the conclusion of, oh, I need to drop some things off. I, and he was basically saying, I'm trying to be cute. Oh. <laughs> and he meant that in a good way of, yeah, I know you're a talented writer. I know you have the ability, but you should not just keep winging it all the time and expect to do well. Like you have to prepare for it. You have to you know, get yourself a draft and edit it and know what you're talking about. Because, and he was right. A lot of my writing, the ones that I really do well are those that I've actually thought about and I know what I'm trying to say and get to the point. But when I write some that flop or some that actually do well, it's really, oh, I have this idea. Let me just go with the flow and get this done. Mm-hmm. Which most people who are not creatives, I think that's how they think creatives live. We wake up in the morning and we have an <laughs> idea and then we write. <laughs> and we are just brilliant. And that's wow, great. I wish. But, <laughs> but it's not. And now that I have very limited time, I'm accepting the practical nature of creativity more and more about making time, sitting down and doing your job. Like we don't want to accept that being creative is a job in the sense of you have hours. But I realize now that the more I prepare, it's funny, the more I prepare, the more inspired my writing sounds. <laughs> I will. Hey, I love that. Um, and I, I'm conscious of the time. I know I said I wanted to keep this short, but I could talk to you for hours. I cannot. I am here. <laughs> it's on my birthday. And uh, today it's funny. My, my wife thought she was going to be off. She's not. So she left earlier. And it's just the dog who is sleeping. And I'm hoping I'm not going to wake up. But it's, I'm very, I'm enjoying this. And I would like to stay on as long as required. So don't worry at all about the time. Well, good. Because I I cannot not ask you about um, (laughs) something that you wrote, I think a while ago, and it got curated by Medium, and it really moved me. And in fact, when I shared it, we had a bit of a back and forth with uh, (laughs) someone on Facebook. And now this someone that I'm mentioning, Ben, love you, is um, my, my college friend. He is probably my oldest and dearest friend, which means we've known each other for about 30 years. So, yeah. you know, my challenging him in his comment on your piece came from one friendship, but then also to like, hey, bruh, you know, I'm gonna call you out. You can't just like say that <laughs> and not know that I'm a fire back. But anyway, the piece that I'm talking about is I grew up African, but America make it, makes it hard to be black. And I that resonated with me because as a black person living in America, I am American. I was born here and how I feel that. I, oh my goodness, my story, we'll go into that another time, but it really, it, it, it hit me because one, this is your perspective as an African, this is your perspective as a man and as a black man. So I'm very, very curious to know, how did you feel before, like when this happened, we get that from the story, but how did you feel writing about your experience? It's um first of all, thank you so much for sharing that piece and reading and that comment actually got me to write another comment, another article which is currently sitting in the draft, it's been sitting in the draft for almost I think a week or two weeks now, and I actually don't know where it's ready. I really want an editor to have a look at it and polish it up. And props go really goes to Jada Gomez, who was the editor who reached out and I don't know how Medium does it, but I think somebody picks the story, reaches out, works with you and then gets it out there. So she did a lot of the editing. 
I read some parts of the story and I was like, oh, okay, that sounded not exactly like I said it, but it's cool. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> but overall, the main the, the the main parts of the story stayed the same. It's really about the difficulty that I had. The, the The initial title of the story was "How Much Is Too Much Color." It was written in 2019. Like I never even thought that I would look at it now, which is. One of those things about medium that we will never understand how they figure out how to pick stories because that was an old story that I wrote, and at the time it got curated in race, but it wasn't such a big deal. And when I was writing that story, I actually wrote that story in church. Hmm. It was a, uh, it was um, what was it a comment a prompt during one of our church events where we were just gathering to talk about community back in Aurora. We have uh, Smoky Vineyard Church where they usually organize events with people to hang out and meet and do painting and just talk about community and share the word and things like that. So there was a prompt and I wrote that piece as a draft. That was the first initial draft was that, just me sitting down there by myself on the table, people, you know, this ambient noise and I'm just writing and I wrote that and I really liked it. It was one of those times that I wrote my story and I felt like this is really who I am. I, I, I connected with the piece even when I took it out of my head. And so when I finished it, I typed it up, put it on Medium. It was... It, I think that story has my trademark introspection, which a lot of my friends have talked about. I really can't help but ask questions. And I it's one of the big things that my wife hates about me. I, I'm okay with, with open-ended conversations where we ask a question, there's no answer, and that's it. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm really fine with being in a place where I don't know what the answer is, and it's okay. And a lot of that piece in the original part was so much more about questioning. Uh-huh. How does it feel to be here? What would, what would like, and I'm looking at somebody who looks like me, but doesn't know who I am, doesn't have my experiences. And I wonder, like, how how is their own life? Like, would they survive in Cameroon? Would they understand how different it is that it's not racism and prejudice, it's so much more like tribalism and nepotism and all these different isms that really separate us where where when I where I was in Cameroon, because I could speak English and French and my name was Kamga, which is probably the most, if not one of the most popular Bamileke names, which is the Bamileke tribe, I'm sure you've read in the piece, we had a huge fallout war with the French colonial masters, and a lot of us were killed, like hundreds of thousands of people were killed with napalm poured over villages, and people thrown in waterfalls and assassinated and hanged. Like, it's part of the history of Cameroon that when people talk about the Holocaust, it's hardly mentioned because nobody documented it, or even if it did, it's not as documented as the Holocaust. But a lot of people died, one specific tribe, punished because of actions of their leaders. And what were their leaders trying to do? Basically get independence because they didn't like the way the government was treating people and they wanted to actually have a better government. But the French and the government in power decided to kill lots of my tribesmen in the past. So Bamini case now in Cameroon are known for commerce and business. And it's because they were forced out of politics because for reasons that are clear, like if you get into politics, you get killed. So a lot of people who ended up surviving decided that they would never ever have anything to do with politics they'll just do commerce and that's how we thrive Bamilikis are known for business and money and entrepreneurship but hardly politics but if you go back just a couple of years back uh, maybe 50 60 years we were leaders ns wanji and felix mumier like the names that people would the heroes that we have in cameroon it's very the french part of the country those who died for the nation uh, mostly Bamilikis. but we don't talk about that and so when I think of the main difference between being black in America and black in Cameroon and the historical perspective, that's what really hits me. Mm-hmm. The different kinds of segregation, different kinds of pressures of the government not providing avenues for you to thrive. And I come to the U.S. and you look at the black communities that essentially the black community is suppressed the way it's a, a tribe will be suppressed by the other tribe in Cameroon. So there's a lot of differences, a lot of similarities. But when I open my mouth and speak and my accent comes out. It's like, where are you from? And what are you doing here? Even now at my job, because I work as a, at a call center of all places. <laughs> I, yeah, I had an instance with a woman who was really upset and basically said, why don't we hire more people, you know, more Americans? Because she had spoken earlier to one of my colleagues who was uh, Hispanic descent. And then now she spoke to me who had this thick African accent. And she was just upset and being, I would say, quote-unquote, American about saying she wants more Americans to be doing this job. And, yeah, so when I when I wrote that piece, I had these feelings of, I don't really know what it means to be Black here, but I am Black here. Now I have to deal with what it means to be Black here. And then what does it mean to be Black here? So it's really that journey of 
who am I now? What am I? What is my own role in the culture? Where do I sit? What are the consequences? And if the roles were flipped, how would they? How would they handle it? And see, that's very so, interesting yeah. to me. That to me. From my perspective, when I read your piece, that was very clear to me. And things that stood out were uh, that you could take your experience from home, come here, and be surprised at how, as Black people, we're not as, we don't have a, a stronger sense of community that you experience, even though you also had to go through these awful atrocities, but still you can say there is a greater sense of community. And that to me was like, wow, that should really make us look at one another as Black people and say, we're already fighting a battle. We don't need to fight it with each other. And we certainly need don't need to fight it with our brothers across the ocean. You know, that's, that's what- You put it so well. You know, yeah. that's why I read it and was like, you know, for the times that I felt discriminated against, by other black women, ultimately what I really wanted to say is why aren't we building each other up? Why aren't we saying, yo sister, I know you, you're having a hard time out here in the world. The last thing I want to do is make it, make it hard for you within our circle. And so that, that is the main reason why I think it resonated with me is because I could see myself in your piece. I could hear your voice in it, regardless of how much editing went into it. I really appreciate it <laughs> that, you know, I, I got a, another side of you and that's the type of stuff that I like to read from you. I know I keep, I send you messages like, yeah, I read that. I love that more. I want more of that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you see, that's the funny thing about that story is when I moved and I started writing, I had this bio. I don't know if you remember, my bio was husband, immigrant, mm -hmm. storyteller. And I wrote so much about being a husband, wrote so much about being an immigrant, struggled to write about being a storyteller. And I got to a spot where a friend of mine also moved to the U.S. recently, um, less than a year. Old. She was like, it looks like you've put yourself in a box. Oh. And I was like, yeah, you're right. I feel like I'm in a box. Like I've literally taken myself. I'm putting myself in a box. Like I don't write anything else that is not immigration. And I'm sure you know uh, Marley K on Medium. It's Marley and there's uh, Eden, uh, Eden Hannah. I've forgotten. K Hannah Eden. I can't remember the name. She She's also a writer on Medium. I mean, like you, Medium has been able to open doors for me to connect with people that in the past I wouldn't without my writing. And that's one big part of, I would say, my loss and gain as I moved to come to the U.S. Because now that I write about these things, about immigration, about racism, a lot of the Cameroonians that I know who used to read my pieces about heartbreaks and love and relationships, they no longer relate to my writing the way it used to be, wow. which sucked in the beginning terribly. And I, I've lost, like, I'm my newsletter now, I'm looking at the people that I have there. A lot of people that I have don't open my stories anymore because they don't they don't feel like I talk about them or talk to them anymore. And that box I created got me to think about the fact that my life was changing and who do I want to be? It's like it's a never it's a never ending question. Like, okay, who am I now? What do I want to be? Who am I now? What do I want to be? It's that push and pull of okay, I want to tell stories now. Like you write real stories about you know being in mid uh, your midlife and sharing, sharing beautiful stories about how what it takes, how to restart, how to keep going, how to you know it's it's not ended until you say it's ended. You can still do more. And I was in this place and still am in this place where I realized that although I like to write about my immigrant story, I don't want to box myself to be the typical immigrant writer. Right. There's too many of us. <laughs> There's too many immigrants. It's like the immigrant experience is probably the most universal experience, even though many Americans would not admit that actually they are immigrants. All Americans moved from elsewhere. But we, I don't want to end up in a place where that's the only thing I write about. And I don't want to end up in a place where I feel like I'm forced to write about it because I'm an immigrant. Right. It's one of those things that when I write about the experience, I try to really humanize it and bring it back to the core message of change and personal adaptation and culture adaptation. It's not so much about Trump and politics and laws and DACA. It's like I am in this new country and I'm discovering who I am. Who am I and how can I become better? I think if I'm going to write about immigration for the rest of my life, which I probably will, I don't want it to be the typical Forbes or whatever story of, oh, this is what is changing. Immigrants are now the new boomers or something. 
But um, I I love. I really that. don't want to end up in the box. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. I mean, for it's for years. I feel like I, you know, I've I've been on this island of saying, you know, what do I want to be when I grow up? Who am I? And why can I be like everyone else and just find one thing? And now I recognize that being multi-passionate and having, you know, different avenues where I share my creativity is a blessing. It is not a curse. I'm glad that I can keep asking these 100%. questions. I'm glad that I can keep growing and evolving and trying new things. That's an asset for me, you know, as opposed to people who they, they never have an opportunity to do that or they don't embrace it. So I'm, I'm, I'm grateful. <laughs> thank you. Yeah. It's uh, I mean, I said, thank you. It's uh, it's um, I was reading this piece early in the morning today, which is one of my bad habits. When I wake up, I take my phone. I've tried to stop it, but it's not stopping. So I'll probably just go with it. But <laughs> it's uh, I was reading a piece by a friend who said she read my piece, which is the one we're talking about. I grew up African and America makes it hard to be black. And she was talking about her relationship with her sister and herself, about how her sister felt shame when she was uh, trying to attend events, gymnastic events, trying to go to schools. And she she said, which is something that I realized that many of my friends who are Cameroonians who moved to other countries, is many people don't get what I say until they have to actually get it. <laughs> it's one of those, mm-hmm. ah, oh, what is he talking about? All right, it's an immigrant story. Cool. That makes sense. But then when you have that moment where you're like, oh, wait, did I just get racially profiled? (laughs) Everything I say (laughs) starts making sense. It's like your eyes are open to a new world of I had no idea I was in this box that you had put me. And now I have to recognize it. And what do I do with this recognition? And so when I read that piece this morning, she said she did not know what it was until it happened to her. And I'm like, yep, that's it. I did not know what it felt like to be black until I moved to America. Wow. I, I had an idea. I had I read stories. I, everybody knows Malcolm X, Martin Luther King, Kunta Kinte. Like we've read, we've watched the movies, we've seen the stories. But until you actually are in that position where something happens, and for me, it's weird. It always happens. It used to happen in hindsight. Like when I was in micro center, it happened, let me say, moments later on. But it's hardly in the moment where it happens and I can recognize it face to face and address it. It's always something that happens. And then I move away and I wait. Oh, okay. That. Oh, that would that's what that was. <laughs> it's hardly it's hardly in the moment. I'm working towards being real time because I think it's almost a duty to me now when I think about writing about immigration and telling my story. I think it's my I don't use the word job. It's my duty mm-hmm. for those who would travel because there would be more immigrants. It's not about Trump or government or America. People would move. As long as mankind has existed, people always move for greener pastures, for better futures, for whatever reasons. And I feel like it's my duty to educate people who haven't moved to the U.S., especially from Cameroon or French-speaking parts of Cameroon and even English-speaking parts of Africa, to recognize that there are difficulties that require you to be ready before you're ready. Right. I, I never had this talk with uh, my cousins who live here Oh, my wife, she she did prepare me for this. I mean, it was really difficult getting the visa and struggles and all that. But the cultural aspects of moving, the the parts where, take an example, like I'm going to school now and I'm working. In Cameroon, you're either doing one or the other. It's very difficult to find people who do both. So it's a struggle that I never recognized was something that I have to go with. Going to school and Losing like this math exam, I know that I'm failing because I did not prepare. In Cameroon, you usually fail because the teacher did not like you. Or sometimes it's just hard. But then the teacher did not like you. The teacher had a surprise test and then you weren't in class. But hardly do you have all the material and then not be able to do your job. So it's for me when I write now about immigration, I really, if I'm thinking about the audience, I'm really thinking about what is something that I wish I knew before I moved to the U.S. that I think somebody should know. And that's where I start going towards the experience and all that. And when your friend put the comment about, yeah, I don't feel any sympathy. Yeah, when he was like, he said privileged. I was like, did did we read the same thing? That doesn't sound like anyone was privileged (laughs) to me. He's talking about, you know, a war-torn country and how we don't have our shit together as Black people. Like, how? Like, (laughs) well, what? Yeah, I was like, and the thing is, I actually wrote the piece saying, what do you do with your privilege? Because I'm aware, like, if anything, my privilege blows in my face every day. I have a wide 32-inch screen right now in front of me as I'm 
talking on this on the, on the podcast, I am aware of my privilege. Like we are saving. Do you know how hard it is for people to save money in the grand scheme of the world? Like to actually have enough money that you want to put some away. Like, yeah, but if that is and, no privilege. And, and I mean, granted, he and I, you know, we had more conversations about you know our comments offline, and I was like, you know, how would you feel? If, if another black man walked up to you and said, oh, you're privileged because you went to college, you had the ability <laughs> to go to college and my kids didn't. It's like, how would you feel? It's like, I know that I had to, I had to work six jobs to put myself through school. And yet I still got those comments from other black people saying, oh, well, you think you're better because you went to school. Wait, what? <laughs> you know what I had to do to do that? So, you know, I just... Again, I appreciated what you wrote, but ultimately it's like, you know what? We need to have a spirit of tolerance and acceptance and, and love regardless of racial you know, stigma, whether it's within our communities or just in the world. And I know that sounds grandiose, but it's true. We need to be more tolerant. It has to start somewhere. It has to start somewhere. So why yeah. not have it start with us, especially as creatives? So again, yeah. I mindful of the time we will have to do a part two because truly i could talk for <laughs> yeah. hours but i i don't i don't want to take up any more of your time especially on your birthday again happy birthday but i do want my Thank listeners you. to know where they can find you where they can you know listen to you let us know where we can find your work these days Okay. Um, first thing I'll say is my newsletter, which you convinced me to join. You actually said, hey, you should go to Substack. I was like, eh, no, I'll just stay with MailChimp. I like MailChimp. It's clunky and cumbersome. It's cool. <laughs> <laughs> and I finally moved to Substack. So if you'd like to stay in touch with my story, I share nearly everything now to Substack. I like Substack. For me, I think Medium spoiled me with a mm-hmm. clean interface. And then Substack now just carried on with that same, like, oh, this is how you write. This is the way it is. You know, just focus on the text. So if you go to kamga, K-A-M-G-A dot substack dot com, you will find my newsletter. You can, of course, sign for free. There's a paid version, which I'm still, I'm thinking of actually probably returning my uh, customers money because I'm like, I just people have given me money and I don't even know what I'm doing with it yet. Maybe I should just return this money and, and actually just write and, and build up something. But some people have actually pledged a year. Some people, uh, one person is pledging every month. So it really encourages me to keep showing up and sharing my story. So if you want to find everything, Substack would be the place to be. But if you want to be you know, specific, medium.com slash at Chasakamga. If you search my name on Medium, you'll see it. I write a lot more on Medium. I'm probably going to write now after this uh, interview. And yeah, that's why I share my story. My YouTube channel, my same name, will be doubling down on YouTube once a week. I put out a video and... Try to have a lot more fun and less, oh, I need to build a YouTube community so I can work, do YouTube full-time. It's more like I like video and I really want to start making videos. So those are the three main places. All of them, you can find them with my name, Kamga Chasa, the way Jay pronounced it so beautifully. That's where you can find me on the internet. <laughs> well, thank you, Kamga, so much. Thank you for being my friend. Thank you for being a huge inspiration to me. Thank you for putting out your stories. Thank you for indulging me with your time today on your birthday. I truly appreciate it. And like I said, we will have to do another interview because I know that we we can talk for hours and I just want to make sure that, <laughs> you know, my listeners stay involved with what you have going on. So again, thank yeah. you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you so much. I really appreciate the honor and I'm glad to know you. There's so many times when you send me a message that really brought me back from the depths of creative uh, dark darkness. And I, I really am glad to have someone like you in my life. I'm looking forward to meeting you one day face to face and maybe having coffee. Yeah. So, yeah, I really appreciate that. Thanks. <laughs>